Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Seth, and uh, me and my wife, Tegan, we uh, do the youth group here at Riverstone Chapel on Wednesday. Yeah, very good. Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at the Lee's house. So if you have a kid that's just sitting around and they're, they're not doing anything, Wednesday nights. Here we are at the Lee's house. It's awesome. But uh, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, we've been coming to Riverstone for like seven months now, and we are just extremely blessed to be a part of what God is doing here, what he's doing in Riverstone Chapel and what he's doing in this city, and we're just blessed to call you guys family. Um, and I have the privilege of continuing our study in Exodus chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to need them. Exodus chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 20. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth." Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained." But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So Jesus, you are worthy, Lord. God, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be worshipped. And I pray for this morning, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to Jesus. You would clear our minds. You would clear our hearts, Lord. And I just pray that you would reveal to us who you are, who you say you are. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to your people? Would you change hearts this morning? Do what only you can do, Lord. So we give you this time, Lord. Do what you will. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you had to summarize the entire book of Exodus with using one phrase, you could probably say something like this, God is producing a people. Because that is ultimately what God is going to do with the people of Israel. Yes, this is a story where God is going to set his people free and free them from their bondage. But this is also no doubt a story of Yahweh doing something far more than simply setting his people free, but he is producing a people to be his people. And I think for us to miss this means that we will be missing a huge part of how God works. Because listen, God loves to set his people free from whatever they're enslaved to. In fact, God will go great lengths to set you free from that thing. But setting his people free for the sake of simply being free from something has never been the end goal of his. But it's always been to produce a people for himself. This is the overarching theme of what God is doing here. Yes, he is going to bring freedom, but he's also going to produce a people for himself. He's going to set apart a people for himself for the sake of worship. And that is exactly what we are going to see as we get into the text. But if you're just joining us and if you're not caught up on the story, this is what we have seen so far. The people of Israel are under ruthless slavery by the Egyptians. And the Bible says that God heard the groanings of his people. He looked and saw and God knew. God remembered the covenant that he made with his people and he was going to do something about it. So God revealed himself to this man named Moses, and he gives Moses a call to essentially be the spokesman for God. Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they may serve me. But as we all know, the story, it hasn't gone so well. Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. Their slavery only gets worse, and Moses is disheartened responding to God with this very honest response, God, you haven't delivered your people at all. And Pharaoh is not listening to me. But then we see God responding to Moses in chapter six. And he says, Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgments, I, I will deliver my people. I am Yahweh, I am the one that has remembered my covenant and I will be the one to deliver my people. And so God does exactly what he says he's going to do. He's going to send out these great acts of judgment upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, what we know as the 10 plagues. First, starting with the Nile River being turned into blood, an infestation of frogs and then followed by gnats. And what all these plagues have in common is that they are met with the same response from Pharaoh every single time, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. And we're only at the fourth plague, and Pharaoh is going to continue to harden his heart five more times in the exact same way. It almost seems like these plagues aren't working because nothing changes in terms of Pharaoh, because he is going to continue to harden his heart plague after plague after plague. But see, Yahweh is revealing something through these plagues. 
And the purpose of these plagues aren't fully meant to just convince Pharaoh to let the people go, but they're meant to reveal who Yahweh is. And that's exactly what God is going to do through these plagues. He's going to reveal who he is. I am Yahweh. And not only will Pharaoh and the Egyptians know who Yahweh is, but so will the people of Israel. Both parties at the end of this will know, I am Yahweh. This is who I am. See, these plagues are meant for the people of Israel just as much as they are for, the, for Pharaoh and the, and the nation of Egypt. God is going to use these plagues to reveal his name, and that's exactly what he does. And now today, we find ourselves at the fourth plague, flies. Um, but this plague takes a, just a little different turn than the last three, because with this plague, God makes a clear distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. So let's read verse 22. It says, but on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. This is the first plague where we see the people of God being separated from the plague and where they don't have to endure it. It wasn't like that with the Nile being turned into blood, the frogs and the gnats, but with the swarms of flies, this is what God says, my people will be set apart and no flies shall be where they dwell. Now, when we read swarms of flies, this isn't talking about like the common house fly. That's a, that's a pest. Um, what makes this plague even more devastating is that if you read the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, which, it's, which is just a Greek translation of the Old Testament text, they get way more descriptive on what type of fly this actually is. And in the Greek translation, they call it a dog fly. And the dog fly is, is not a normal fly at all. What the dog fly does is it bites you. But while it's biting you, it lays its eggs in your, in your skin. <laughs> and if, it, I mean, if, and if, if this thing is not treated, they'll hatch in you, and then the only way out is to chew their way out. Like, th this is the dog fly. This, is, this fly was well known in the ancient Near East. Like, this thing was common. And as I was studying this, I couldn't, like, help but to think about Belize. I've gone to Belize twice now for a missions trip. And Belize, they have this fly that's called the bot fly. And if you're not familiar with the bot fly, um, it's exactly what I just explained. They bite you put their like, maggot babies in your skin, and then they chew their way out of you. Yeah, like this is a real, this is a real thing. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going to Belize being so paranoid. Surely, I will be the one that will get a bot fly in me. You hear all the stories, it's just, it's, it's just wild. It's just a, a demon fly, it's not normal. But just imagine the devastation of this plague. And it wasn't just the dog fly, but it was all kinds of flies. 
but this fly was definitely there. And the, these flies are in your house, in your bed. The whole land of Egypt was ruined by this fly. Everybody's just getting, yeah, never mind. It's just not a, it's just not a good time. Um, but this plague was just an absolute wreck on the land, and I'm sure it was not a good time. But it starts with this plague, where God makes a separation and a division between his people and Pharaoh's people. And God makes it clear, my people are going to be safe and set apart from this devastating plague. But see, God is showing something here. The division and the separation that God is making here tells us two things. Number one, Yahweh is identifying Israel as his own. He's saying, I am Yahweh. I am your God and you are my people. He's making it clear that there is a distinction. You are my people. There's my people and then there's Pharaoh's people. He's making their identity clear to them, saying, you are mine and you do not belong to Pharaoh. These people don't belong to Pharaoh. Just because Pharaoh has put his heavy hand on them for so long does not make them their God. But Yahweh is. Yahweh is their God. And this separation is showing us that these people belong to me. These are my people, those are your people, and my people are going to be safe and set apart from this devastating plague. See, for the longest time, Pharaoh has been telling the people of Israel, you belong to me. But Yahweh is showing Pharaoh through this separation, through the division, the people of Israel are his and they do not belong to Pharaoh. There is a clear distinction between his people and their people. And he is also showing that there is a clear distinction between who Yahweh is and between who their gods are. And nothing can match what Yahweh can do. Think about this. For 400 years, the people of Israel have been in slavery. And they have been immersed with the worship of the Egyptians. And remember, the Egyptians had a God for almost everything. And with each plague that is going to be sent out, each represent a God that they worshipped. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians are witnessing the things they once worshipped being turned into plagues and only bringing devastation and revealing how insufficient they are to save. See, when Yahweh says that he will make a division between his people and Pharaoh's people, the word division is the word for redeeming in the Hebrew. So in other words, when this plague comes, I, Yahweh, will redeem my people. My people will be set apart. Showing Pharaoh and the Egyptians, only I can redeem. Only Yahweh. Only the God of the Hebrews has the ability to redeem and save and nothing else. The gods of the Egyptians, listen, do not have the capacity to do what Yahweh can do. Pharaoh does not have the capacity to do what Yahweh can do. And the things they look to in worship are being exposed for what they are, insufficient and empty. Nothing can match what Yahweh is doing. The gods of the Egyptians cannot do what Yahweh can do. They do not have the capacity. 
And just like Pharaoh and the Egyptians, putting their trust and worship into, the th into things that are insufficient to save and so empty to satisfy. And I think it's safe to say that we as well have also put our trust into things that are just incredibly insufficient to save and incredibly empty to satisfy. Or maybe some of us are in that place this morning where you are following after things and putting your trust and confidence into something that does not have the capacity to save you. It does not have the capacity to satisfy your soul. And that can be anything, whether that's a career, a social status, a relationship, a way of life, whatever it is. Only you know what that thing is. But here's the reality. Only the God of the Hebrews has the capacity to save you and to satisfy you. And that's it. Only Jesus has the ability to redeem you. Nothing or nobody else. There is nothing in this life that has the capacity to do what God can do. And that is to redeem his people and to satisfy their souls. Nothing. Yahweh makes it clear, showing how sufficient he is and that he alone is able to redeem and showing how insufficient their gods are because their gods do not have the ability to save their people, but Yahweh has the ability to save his people. That's the difference. Yahweh is the only one that can redeem. This is what that division is showing us. See, if we worship anything else but this God, you will be worshiping something that is incredibly insufficient. It will never be able to satisfy you. It will never be able to save you. Nothing outside of this God, nothing outside of the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. Yahweh is saying, my people will be set apart. My people will, will be redeemed, doing something only he can do. This is Yahweh. Only Yahweh can do these things. And that's exactly what he is showing through this plague. I'm going to redeem my people and I'm going to show Pharaoh only I can do this thing. This like saving thing and redeeming thing, that's, that's me, only me, and nothing and nobody else. And so this plague comes and it's an absolute wreck on the land. Verse 25, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. It almost seems like Pharaoh ha has had enough of this plague. And at first glance, it almost seems like Pharaoh is giving up and saying, okay, go and sacrifice to your God. This is the first time Pharaoh is essentially giving them permission to go and worship. But there's a condition tied to it. You can sacrifice to your God, but within the land. It's an offer that Pharaoh presents to Moses and Aaron, but this isn't like some nice gesture from Pharaoh as we know. It's a compromise. 
that Moses refuses to take. He says, no, we, we can't sacrifice in the land. Like that's, that's an offer that we can't take. First, because of a practical reason. He says, our sacrifices are abominable to the Egyptians. Remember, the Egyptians had a God for almost everything. And the animals that the people of Israel were to sacrifice were deemed as sacred. And if, and if they sacrificed their sacred animals, like a, like a cow or a sheep, they're going to be stoned. Like, as simple as that. No, we cannot sacrifice in the land. It would be a clear disgrace to the Egyptians. So that's number one. But second, because this is not the way God intended them to worship. This is not the way God intended them to worship. God made it very clear in chapter five that they must go a three days journey into the wilderness to worship. God is saying, no, this is how I want you to worship. Three days journey into the wilderness. See, the people of Israel cannot worship the way God intended for them to worship if they remain in the land. And remember, God is producing a people to be his people. And he can't fully do that while they remain in Egypt. And if Moses were to accept the compromise, you can sacrifice, but in the land, it would kill the whole point of the Exodus story. Because the issue is full separation. Not just partly free, but all of it. God is separating his people apart from Egypt. Why? so they can worship me for the sake of worship. And sacrificing in the land is not the way he intended them to worship. But Pharaoh offers a compromise. Okay, you can go and sacrifice, but don't go very far away. See, Pharaoh is a voice of compromise for, for many of us. But this is how listening to the voice of compromise keeps us chained down from fully being set apart for God. Compromise says, you can worship God, but don't go very far. Or in other words, you can do this God thing, but don't get fully sucked into it. Or you can follow Jesus, but there's no need to confess your sin or even to repent from your sin. Or you can do this church thing, but you don't ever have to let these people get close enough to you. See, the enemy of our soul is always suggesting some kind of compromise. And to listen to it is to remain enslaved. See, if Moses were to listen to it, it means that they would remain enslaved to the land and they would not be worshiping the way God intended them to worship. And listen, you will never be able to worship God the way God intended you to worship if you live a life of consistent sin and compromise. And you will never experience the abundant life of Jesus if you choose to live a life of compromise after compromise after compromise. It's just, you just can't do it. God says, this is how I want you to live. But compromise says, yeah, but not that far. But not that extreme. Stay close enough. You can do this Jesus thing, but don't go very far away. This is the voice of compromise. See, God's desire is for you to be fully set apart for him. And you will never be able to worship God the way God intended you to worship 
if you continue to live a life of consistent compromise and sin. See, God wants his people to be free, to worship outside of the land. And to remain in the land is to remain enslaved. And to remain in a, in a, to remain in a life of compromise is to remain in a life of slavery. See, the issue is full and complete separation for the sake of worship. And this is why God is bringing them out, for the sake of worship, so, so they can worship the only true God. See, Pharaoh is a perfect picture of the voice of compromise. And to listen to it is to remain enslaved. Then Moses said, behold, verse 29, I'm going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Tomorrow, let, tomorrow only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Moses agrees to act on the request of Pharaoh. I'll pray to my God for the flies to be removed, but don't cheat again by not letting us go out to worship. So Moses went and prayed to God and the Lord removed the flies, but here it is, Pharaoh still hardened his heart. See, Pharaoh has seen the power of Yahweh. He has seen the redeeming work of God. He has seen what God can do and what only he can do. He has seen, the, he has seen how powerless and insufficient his gods are. But even still, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Despite God's kindness and mercy he had for Pharaoh to stop the plague, he continued to harden his heart. See, Pharaoh is also a perfect picture of the severity of a hard heart. He's a perfect picture. He refuses to be obedient to Yahweh time and again. And see, but the point is this. The point of these plagues aren't just meant to convince him, but to reveal who Yahweh is. And that's exactly what Yahweh has done so far. That he's the only one that can, that can save. He's the only one that can redeem. And he's the only one worthy to be worshipped. This is what Yahweh has revealed. And this is what he is going to continue to reveal as we go through the book of Exodus. That he is the only one sufficient enough. And nothing and nobody else. And God is going to produce a people for the sake of worship. Worship team, you can come back up. The God of the Hebrews is the only one that is sufficient enough. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can redeem. And if you find yourself in a spot this morning 
where like where God is not even in your life at all and you're living a life of compromise, I just want you to know that only God is sufficient. So maybe this morning, just pray, Holy Spirit, show me the things in my life that, is, that are keeping me away from this God. Because he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. God, you are so worthy. God, you are the only one that can save and redeem, Lord. You're the only one that can satisfy. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just do a work this morning. Lord, would you change hearts, God? Would you do what only you can do? So we thank you for Jesus, Lord. And as the Christmas season comes up, Holy Spirit, just help us to remember the importance of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. Because, Lord, this is why we do this church thing. This is why we all show up on a Sunday morning. It's because you rose again from the grave and you came to this earth and you, and you died for us. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us to this Jesus? We thank you, God, for your sufficiency in our life. We thank you for your love and your goodness and you are so worthy to be praised and worshiped. So clear our hearts and clear our minds. Help us to see you, Lord, for who you say you are. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.